say the game is getting old. Monday morning and your coffee's cold. Life is not what you want it to be. Hello everyone and welcome to A New Direction. My name is Jay Izzo and wow, do we have a great show. You know why this is such a great show? Because ladies and gentlemen, he's back. <laughs> yes sir, Ralph Peterson. Oh yeah, he's not just a friend of the show, he's my friend. And he's your friend too because he's been on and oh man, he is so much fun. He is edutaining right educational and entertaining here's the other part he's really freaking smart oh man is he smart and he has written this outstanding book called by the way that is him in the superman kate okay, right right outfit here right i'm peeling the good manager yeah i said the good manager why because being great is overrated oh this book is gonna open some eyes this book is gonna make you go what yeah, that's what Ralph does because that's who Ralph is and that's why we love having him on the show because he makes people go, whoa. So listen, we're going to talk to him in just a second. Before we do, let's do what we do every week and you know what that is, right? And that is, I walk you through your training in the four areas of your life, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And the reason I say we walk you through your training is because what we've learned from all the special operations forces uh, people that we've had on this show, is that we have learned this. You know what? When you're under stress, when you're under pressure, when you are under it, you never rise to the occasion. You only fall to the level of your training. Which is why you have to be training all four areas of your of your life on a daily basis. Right? So physically, when I rate your training on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being you know, well, my training stinks, 10 being my training's outstanding. What I'm asking you is these, is these basically four areas in physically. How's your diet? Right, that's first. How is your exercise? Are you getting enough sleep and are you drinking enough water? Because if you could do those four things physically and you could say I'm a 10 on all four of those things, you know what, you're doing pretty well. The point is, how is your training coming? And then, you know, then whatever the number is, and by the way, I'm okay if you say, you know what, my training's a three. Okay, well, we got room for improvement. That's awesome. So what are you going to do to change what you're doing? How are you going to get to a four? That's what's really important here. It's not that you are a three or a nine. It's what are you going to do to get to the next level? What can you change right now? That, that's what's important. Okay, so there's your first number, your physical number. The second number is the mental number. And you know, one of the things Ralph and I have in common is we are not mental loafers, all right? We believe in uh, being active when it comes to our learning, being active when it comes to, you know, mentally growing. And mental growth comes in a variety of ways, right? It's professional, it's personal, right? But you have to be an active participant. You just can't sit there and let things come at you. You have to be in a constant learning mode, because when you stop learning, when you stop being an active participant in your learning, then what you've done is you stopped your training. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you say your training is coming when it comes to actively learning and growing in terms of your personal and professional life? And so whatever that number it is, it is, but what are you going to do to change that? So now you have two numbers, physical and mental. And then there's the emotional number, your emotional training. By the way, 
when we're in a pandemic, we're in emotional training every day. Every single day you are. Because things are not the same. It affects us emotionally. And so your emotional training comes in two varieties, right? First is how well are you able to handle and control your emotions when things go bad? And if Ralph can attest to anything, we had a little bit of problem today getting the show started. I think I did okay handling it emotionally. I think I did pretty good, right? But then there's a second piece. And by the way, this is, this is so, I think, critical to Ralph's book, by the way, The Good Manager, is how well are you able to tap into the emotions of other people and truly understand them? Because understanding other people's emotions, which is really, really important when it comes to maybe like your marriage and your kids, but it's really, really important if you're going to manage people. You need to know where they're at because it helps you evaluate them. So if you could evaluate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of how well you're doing with your emotional training, controlling emotions, and understanding the emotions of others, what number would you give? All right, so now you have three numbers. And then finally, there's the spiritual area. And a lot of people will say, well, I'm not really spiritual, Jay. I'm not, I'm not a spiritual person. Yeah, you are. Because if you remove the physical, mental, and emotional, whatever is left is spiritual. I mean, the truth of the matter is, we all have faith in something. Even if you don't believe in something, that means you have to have faith in something else. That's spiritual. If you have made plans for your future that have not happened yet, and yet you believe they will happen. That's faith, and that's spiritual. So where are you getting your spiritual strength from? Is it God? Is it nature? Is it meditation? And how is it working out for you? And a scale of 1 to 10, when you're training and you're working through the spiritual area that gives you a, a sense of peace or a sense of harmony or a sense of joy in the midst of chaos, right? How well is that working? And then when do you need to change it? What number would you give yourself? Right? Those, and that's your four areas, right? And you've got four numbers. They're like the legs of a chair. If the legs of a chair are out of balance, you know, you sit in that chair long enough, you know what happens? Your posture goes bad. And by the way, if the chair's too low, what happens? You can't sit at the table that you need to sit at so that what you can do is that you can eat the nutritious food that you need to eat physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And speaking of someone who has got it all together, and he's probably all tense. He generally is. His name's Ralph Peterson. Ralph got caught plagiarizing a Ranger Rick magazine when he was eight years old. Ralph Peterson shocked everyone when the story he was made to write about, the lessons he learned from the ordeal, was better than the story he copied. It seems funny now, he says, but I don't know. I could write my own stories. I don't know. I was allowed to make them up. I didn't know I was allowed to lie. Today, in addition to authoring four books, including this latest one, The Good Manager, Being Great is Overrated, he is, he's, we've done books, Managing When No One Wants to Work, um, Congratulations, Now Get Over Yourself, Confessions of a Management Development Coach, Adventures in Dietland, which was fabulous. Um, he is a keynote speaker, member of the National Speakers Association, highly sought after management development coach, internationally syndicated columnist, with his column, Five Star Leadership with Ralph Peterson. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show and welcome back to New Direction, my friend, Ralph Peterson. Welcome back, Ralph. Thank you so much. Quite an introduction. I feel like I'm all done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you. It was great coming. You know what? This book, uh, The Good Manager, um, I told you this before the show, it made me mad 
because you <laughs> because you you said things in here I didn't want to agree with, but then when you went through them, I was like, Doug on it, he's right. And you know, I know that your experience um, working with being a manager, but also managing managers and supervising managers as part of it, you have a lot of experience, but then you brought a lot of research to the table. But this, the book is also very, very fun. And so I want to start with some fun because it really starts with when you're in sixth grade and um, you meet Marco the Magician, which yeah. ter- which turns into really kind of, uh, I, I guess it's kind of the foundation for this book ultimately. So let's talk about how meeting Marco the Magician fits into being the good manager. Well, I met Marco the Magician. He was doing a show when I was six or or I was was in sixth grade. He was doing a show at my middle school and he picked me to go up on stage and embarrass the heck out of me. It was a, a traumatic event, really, more than anything else. But then I ran into him years later when I took a job as a as a waiter at a at a, re- at a steakhouse at a restaurant, and he was at the restaurant doing magic for guests, and he started to take me under his wing and show me magic, which is a lot of fun. And you know, when you're a kid, 16, 17, just learning basically how to f- hide salt and that kind of stuff, it was fun. <laughs> you know, it was just a, a fun thing. But that tra- that trajectory. So when I saw him, when I was and it might be a perception thing too. When I saw him when I was in sixth grade, he was a god, right? Like he was amazing. He was doing magic. But then later, I'm 16, 17, and I'm and he's showing me stuff. Now it's no longer he's a god. He's now he's like, no, this is how it works. And this, so he's giving me the inside track. You know what I mean? So you all of a sudden you're opening your eyes to how it actually works. And I think that in management, it's kind of the same way when you when you're an employee, you're working for somebody, especially if you have a boss you love and a manager who's on top of everything, you, you think it's like magic. Like, oh my gosh, how is he doing it? How is she doing it? And then you start learning about it. You're like, oh, I see what you did there, you know? <laughs> so when, I, I, I really loved it because there was a point in the story where, um, you know, you actually said to Marco, you said to him, you go, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not very, you know, I'm not great. And he says to you, I don't want you to be great. Great's overrated. I just want you to be really good. I just want, his whole idea was you don't start out being great. You got to be good. So just (laughs) practice, just get great, be good. All right. So (laughs) let's, let's talk about the management piece because here's, here's the management piece. You say the, in chapter two, you say first, here's the good news. Anyone who's interested in becoming a manager or supervisor of any kind can do so really easily. But the question that you should be asking here is why. So what's the bad news? Well, so the good news is if anybody wants to become a manager, there's a ton of opportunity. And the bad news is the reason there's there's so much opportunity is because it's so difficult to be a manager. And in fact, two thirds of all first time managers fail in the first 90 days. And so there is a huge attrition rate. So if you're like, I think I could be in charge, Put your hand up and say, I'd like to, I'd like to give my shot at it. Just understand that two-thirds of all first time and the first time you do it, you're gonna fail. The first time I did it, I got fired eight minutes later. I mean, the first time I got promoted, I was fired very quickly. You know, you know, it's really interesting that two-thirds of the people 
either quit or, or, or they just fail in the first 90 days. And it's, it's really interesting to me that there are a lot of management positions. Everybody thinks this is, everybody thinks it's just so easy, right? You know, because they, first of all, they feel like, oh, I'm become a manager. I've got less work to do. I, um, you know, I've got now privileges, right? But managing isn't about a title, is it? No, it isn't. And actually, I would say that that one of the real, I mean, a real big challenge for new managers is their own concept of Mm. what, you know, when you think you're going to be a manager, I remember when I was an assistant manager, I thought my manager was an idiot. And I thought everything that they did, I was going to be so much better. I thought, make he he would say take a right. I was like, oh my, I would have totally taken a left. He would have, he said, I'm going to go upstairs. I'd be like, I would have totally went downstairs. Like everything was wrong with him. I second guessed everything. And in my mind, I thought he doesn't work hard. He comes and goes whatever he wants. He gets all these freedoms and liberties. And when I'm in charge, I'm going to get to that stuff. The truth is. Management is, and here's the reason why most people fail. Management's a lot harder than you think it is. It's going to take a lot more time, a lot more hard work. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to start earlier, stay later, work Saturdays and Sundays when it's not your Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's what it takes. And you think I'm going to get in there and I'm going to come and go as I please. Go ahead, come and go as you please. And you will be terminated within 90 days. <laughs> you will not make it. Simple. It's simple. Uh, his name's Ralph Peterson. The book is entitled "The Good Manager." I know it's a, it seems like it's just such common sense, but the, the problem is, is that people want these management positions. They don't understand it. So you you talk early on in the book that you interview a lot of potential managers, and there were like there's like three. You I asked them a question. I, I guess the question that you ask him is a question is you know what what is a good manager. And you get back some interesting responses. Some of them aren't bad, but but they are, you know, but they are typical. Share share with us a couple of those. Well, my favorite my favorite is my question is how do you know you're going to be successful? Like so, let's say a couple of months goes by, how are you going to tell if you're being successful or not? And my favorite is everybody's going to love me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. I love my sister, but I wouldn't put her in charge. No. Um, <laughs> She's watching the show right now too. That's okay. awesome. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> but, you, but it's 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 that thing where we lose sight of what actually it takes mm. to be an effective manager, right? So mm. everybody, and, and I got you know, with peace and love, people throw around this whole idea that being a leader is better than being a manager. Like being a manager is this lowly thing and being a leader is this the greatest thing. It's quite the opposite. Mm. The truth is anybody can be a leader because it doesn't take a title to be a leader. Anybody can in the moment stand up for somebody or or make a snap decision that makes the best sense or you know help somebody in some way that really elevates them to this godlike leadership status. But I'll tell you, no organization in the world, none, zero, zip, none, I don't care what industry it is, None of them go anywhere without the strength of their management team. Mm. It is the manager that sees oversees the day-to-day. It is the manager that ensures people are getting their work done on time. It is the manager that ensures customers are getting, getting what they're asking for, what they're paying for. It is the manager, the people who are there day in and day out. And by the way, 
You can measure management. It's systematic. It's repeatable. You can't measure leadership. Leadership is like this one and done, like these, somebody can just shoot shoot off leadership things like, oh, this and all of that. Mm. Management. I'm a way bigger fan of let's talk about what it takes to be an effective manager than I am go, oh, let's see what it takes to be an effective leader. Because you can be a leader once. It doesn't make it systematic. It doesn't make it effective. There's no long term. Right. You know, you know, it's interesting you point out in uh, this early chapter three that um, manager, man, being a manager is a skill. And, and I'm thinking about this in terms of what you just said about leadership. You, you know, <laughs> we don't really know what leadership is. <laughs> and we really can't tell you what the skills are to make you an effective leader. But there, there is a skill that is teachable and learnable when it comes to being a manager. A million percent. A million percent. And if you if you were to try to even equate the management with leadership, you can't be a good leader if you're not a good manager. And let's think about it like mm. this. Let's say that you have an employee who is not in charge of anything. They're they're just they're, they've been there for a long time. They're a good worker. They show up on time. They leave on time. They're reliable, friendly. Everybody loves them. And when you put somebody with them. And you say, hey, will you shadow this new person? Will you get, show them the ropes? You can see that person being a good leader. Could you, can you agree with that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Even though they're not a manager, you can see that they're a good leader, right? right? Now, take that same person, except make them late all the time. Make them not get their work done all the time. Right. And you can see that there's a big difference between somebody who's really good at managing themselves and somebody who's not good at managing themselves. And the people who are really good at managing themselves do well as a leader, do well as somebody being the lead, showing somebody the ropes given. I wouldn't I would not ask somebody who I couldn't rely on to train my new staff members. Right. But if there's self-management. You don't have good self-management. You can't be a good leader for me. See, everything is about management. Start with yourself. You want to get ahead. Manage yourself well, be on time, get your work done, be positive, ask good questions, contribute, you know, provide value, leave on time. You know what I mean? Say yeah. yes a lot. Stop <laughs> complaining. <laughs> you know what? You're asking, you're, you're asking a lot, but the, it's, re, it's required of us, isn't it? I mean, it right. I mean, you're, 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 what you're asking people to do is a lot, but the truth of the matter is the, the job requires so much, especially if we're going to manage people. A lot of people want to know how to get a raise and it's so super easy. Getting a raise on an, as an employee is the easiest thing in the world. Easy, easy. You know what you have to do? No. Stop needing management. Mm. Your manager's taking all your money. Peace and love. I would not spend a single dime on management, not a penny, if I didn't need to. Do you know why I need to? Because I can't get people to do what they're supposed to be doing on a consistent basis without somebody overseeing them. So the magic is if you want to get a raise, stop needing management. By the way, just as a warning, once you start managing yourself so well that managers don't need to come by, we're going to ask you to become a manager. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that's how we find you. That's how we find, we find the best workers and we try to get them to be a manager. That's the key. Mm. Uh, his name is Ralph Peterson. The book is entitled, gosh, he's good, isn't he? It's called The Good Manager. Matter of fact, he's great. I know he says that being great is overrated, but really, he he's great. He's he's great. I just want to be good. I'll, I'll be, I just want to shoot for 80%. It's called The Good Manager. It's Ralph Peterson. You're listening to him here on A New Direction. Hey, folks, I got two great sponsors here on A New Direction. Uh, one of them is Epic Physical Therapy. And you know what? Whether you're recovering from an injury or surgery or you're suffering everyday aches and pains and maybe you're having difficulty performing uh, activities of daily living, Maybe you're a professional athlete or, you know, maybe not quite a professional athlete, but you're having problems, you know, with your athletic event. Look, here's the deal. The elite team at Epic Physical Therapy for their therapy will provide you with a customized treatment plan tailored to your individual needs. With their experience at rehabbing young athletes to elite professionals, and yes, professional athletes come to Epic Physical Therapy from all over, they understand the need to treat your entire body as a functional whole, not just your symptoms or your injury. So when you're ready for your Epic relief, when you're ready for your Epic recovery, when you're ready for Epic results, don't go anywhere else. Start with Epic Physical Therapy. That's EpicPT.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. Com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors, for over 35 years, they have been at the top of the real estate game. How do you stay at the top of the real estate game 35 years? Well, I'll tell you how Linda has done it. She's done it because she creates relationships. And she understood the importance of relationships so much, not just with her customers and her clients, but also the relationships that she's developed with her own staff so that her staff understands the importance of their relationship with her, as well as their relationship with their buyers and sellers. And those relationships are so important because at the end of the day, it's really not about the physical house or home that you're selling. It's really about the memories that were created in that home that means so much to you. We all remember our grandmother's house. We remember going. We remember the things that we used to do. We really don't remember what she paid for it. So listen, when you really want to talk to a real estate professional who really cares about the important things. Start with Linda Craft and Team Realtors. And you can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T.com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Ralph Peterson and his book, The Good Manager. And we're just uh, starting to get into it here a little bit and uh, haven't gone very far, but he's already given us great great stuff. So Ralph, I want to move right away into the five rules for managers, because I think these are critical and important. And um, some people may challenge you on some of this, but um, the truth is uh, there are fantastic. So let's go rule number one, which is managers are not allowed to walk by trash, but trash is a metaphor, correct? It is. Yeah. So I, when I when I do my training, trash is a is a huge piece for me. So managers are not allowed to walk by trash. That is so easy. Most people who get promoted to a leadership position don't walk by trash. As a matter of fact, that's how we recognize they're a good candidate for leadership. You see them picking up trash, making sure things are right, making sure doors are locked, supplies are put away, right? Like those are the kinds of people. However, managers are not allowed to walk by trash and they're not allowed to pick it up. And it is that last part that it's a gut check. 
And that's where I can tell whether or not you're going to be an effective manager or not. If I say to you, hey, listen, going forward, I don't want you to walk by trash, but I don't want you to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Your only option is you're either going to sit there and go, well, does that mean I'm just going to stand there all day until it's time to go home? <laughs> or worse, I'm going to have to ask somebody else to do it. And the idea, if the idea of asking someone else to pick up trash makes you sick to your stomach, mm-hmm. makes it so you're like, you know what? I would never do that. I don't know. I don't know if they put it there. I don't know who dropped it. I don't know how long it's been there. I don't know what it's made of. I can't just go around asking staff members to pick up random pieces of trash if they didn't put it. That's not fair. If that's how you feel, peace and love, management's not for you. <laughs> you, you, you said that the metaphor is, and, and I, I want people, because I know that there are people from all over the world who are in management, supervisorial positions, but this is this even goes for CEOs of companies who are managing their sales team or whoever. Um, you know, you say it's a metaphor that is for anything that is out of place or that is easily correctable. That's right. Which, which, by the way, opens this up to, I mean, yes, we call it trash, but the truth of the matter is the same thing applies here. So if something is out of place in your office or something is easily correctable, if you're managing, it's not up to you to pick it up. You got to get right. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let okay. me let me stop you for a quick second. All right, it's good. Not that it's not up to you. Okay, it is up to you. Okay, it is my job. Right. To make sure there's no trash on the floor in my. I work in healthcare. Right. In my healthcare facility, it's my job to make sure it's not there. Here's the problem: if I'm the only one picking it up, I cannot. Two things are going to keep happening. One. Trash is still going to find its way on the floor. And number two, I'm going to have to work 24-7 in order to pick it all up because it's always going to be dropping. Right. By making other people pick it up, there's something magical that's going to happen. Number one, people are going to start policing each other. Because the first question that you get from somebody when you ask them to pick, hey, you grab that for me. They're going to say, I didn't pick that. I didn't drop that. You go, okay, no worries. Pick it up. By the way, if you see somebody drop something, right? I mean, how many times do I have to ask you to pick up after somebody else before you start taking notice of that person dropping trash? Mm-hmm. The next time you see somebody drop, hey, pick that up. Ralph's going to be up here in a minute. He's going to make me pick it up. I'm not doing it again. You're the one dropping it. I see it now. I just watched you do it. I just watched you do it. I just managed this effectively. I just took myself out of it. You guys are now managing, co-managing together. And guess what? We're going to have a clean facility 24-7. Right. Got it. If I just did it myself, it wouldn't happen. It's the same way with reports. I have people that are supposed to be training managers. Managers are supposed to be doing their reports. And the, the regional manager is supposed to be collecting reports. The regional manager gets injured. He gets the coronavirus. He's out for 14 days mandatory. I go to the, the managers. I go, no problem. Where's the reports? Oh, we never showed it. He never showed us how to do that. What? For a year, he's been doing all your reports. See, he thinks he's doing the right thing. Right. He didn't set them up for success. He literally set them all up for failure. They couldn't do it without him, which shows you a lot about his ability to manage. Mm. That's beautiful. The truth. It, yeah. Well, let's move on to rule number two. Managers must always be on time. Before you get into this, because <laughs> you know what? This is something that, you know, you just hit me. I, I call this this just in. Um, but when you said, you know, we got to manage ourselves, right? 
this is really a self-management. I mean, regardless of where, regardless of where you're at in the, in the career working chain. Yeah. Right. This is, I mean, yes, this is managers must be on time, but this is a self-management thing. If you want to get to the next level too. It, it is. And it, and it's also, you can't manage effectively if you're late and you're expecting others not to be late. I had I had an instance where I had a, a a company call me and say they're having problems with a housekeeper, I mean a, a manager, a housekeeper manager, and they you know didn't know understand why and they wondered if I can come in for a couple of days and work with her and see what was going on because you know everybody's busy but they're not getting what they're supposed to be getting done. So I get there at quarter of seven in the morning. She shows up at quarter after seven. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. This never happens. My bad. You know, car running behind kids, dog ran away, whatever the excuse was. <laughs> well, I noticed for that 30 minute window, me 15 minutes early, her 15 minutes late, her staff just kind of didn't do anything. Right. Because they're waiting for her before they get there mm-hmm. until the boss shows up. Nobody's doing anything. Everybody is just slowly, you know, whatever. Next day, it happens again. Next day, it happens again. I go to the, the, the HR department and I say, could you do me a favor? Will you run me a payroll report of the manager? And she says, oh, the manager's only been here for a little over four months, so 120 days. I'm like, okay, well, how many times has she been late? 80. She's late 80 times in 120 days. I don't understand why I can't get these people to work. I can. <laughs> And, you know, the truth is, it's not that she was late 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour late. One minute late is enough. Right. One minute late is enough. You understand? And I talk about it in the book. I talk about leadership capital where you're burning. Leadership capital, by the way, is money you earn by being a good leader. In other words, dressing appropriately, being on time, you know, all those things that you're expecting other people to do that you do. And the more you do it the more capital you get from your staff. If you violate all any of those, you spend capital. Right. People trust you less. They give you less leeway in being late or whatever. Right. And she literally gave away all her leadership capital. So nobody trusted her, even though she was only a minute late, two minutes late, three minutes late. You're late. Right. That's it. Who put you in charge? Yeah. Well, you know what? This is a common... Sometimes I think being late is a common occurrence I see more often than not in, 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 even in the corporate world. And people just expect that it's okay to get away with it. But it, it just is terribly, it's just not a very good, it, it's not a very good reflection on you as, as a person when you're late. My, it's dangerous. I, I work in, in healthcare and we work in dietary and breakfast has to be served at 730. Right. And you're cooking for 200 people who can't cook for themselves. Right can't feed themselves and you and you're late going oh, i don't know what's the big deal about me being late well as a domino effect see this lady got up at 6 30 she was asking for coffee we normally get it to her by 6 45 but because you were late we didn't get it to her till seven mm. i don't know if you've spent 15 minutes without coffee when you normally get it you get a little cranky. <laughs> then that makes the nurse cranky because they're the, the residents being cranky to nurses. Now the nurses are cranky. Now everybody's cr- everybody starts off with a bad day because of you. 200 right. people's days ruined. Right, right. All right, let's move to rule number three. 
<laughs> uh, because uh, th- th- I, I, you know, okay, man- rule number three: managers must dress professionally. But th- yeah. th- there's a caveat to this. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. I'm gonna and go with that. The, the answer is managers must stand out. Right. You must look like you're in charge. And there's a lot of people who do not want to look like they're in charge. Mm. And I have a great story in the book about a zebra and how why zebras are black and white striped and how nobody ever knew why zebras are black and white striped. And the truth is, is it turns out because they're pack animals and they blend in with each other. And so a lion can't see one zebra start or one zebra ends. And Mm. that's why people don't want to stand out in management because there are lions at work. There are, there, there are, there are, un, there are customers who are mad and they're like, who's in charge here? Listen, if somebody walks into your place of business and sees you and says, who's in charge here? Because you don't look like you're in charge. I beg you, please reconsider whatever it is you're wearing so that you stand out as the person in charge on construction sites. They'll have a different color hard hat. The supervisor may have a red hard hat where everybody else has a white one or the, right. you know, the, the foreman will have blue and, you right. know, the supervisors will have a yellow, whatever it is. Right. Police officers have uniforms. Doctors have lab coats. Right. Stand out. People don't like standing out. I love your quote on page 29. It says, to be a good manager, you must um, be more like a lion or at the very least, you can't be afraid of them. That's right. I love that quote. Don't be afraid of mad staff, mad customers. Don't be, don't be afraid. Right. And you also talk about that. The other reason why dressing appropriately is so important is because it's not just about solving a problem. It's also about influencing. That's right. Because I think, I think what we don't recognize here is, you know, the power of influence, you know, instead of manipulating it's things that we can physically do that influence the situation or influence our, um, the people that we're in charge of. Not only that, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right, but also we're representing the company. And by representing right. the company, you're representing every employee. And so imagine if you're an employee for this company, if the company is great or it's not great, if your manager is known to be not great, it's embarrassing to say who you work for. Or where you work. Right. Everybody wants to work for a good company, a company with a strong reputation run by good leaders, good leaders who have good reputations and certainly don't look like less than professional, whatever that means. Right. Whatever that means. I mean, you know, they don't look like the staff, (laughs) you know, right? Well, their staff, I mean, staff, I'm a big fan of uniforms because uniforms make it so that we know who is who, right? So I'm a big fan of uniforms, but. Managers have to look better than staff. Right. At the very least, they can't look worse. Right. 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 So I, I have this this great experience. I was at a Best Buy, and everybody in Best Buy wears khaki pants and blue shirts. Right. Right. Khaki pants, blue shirts. I'm telling you, Jay. I saw these two kids, young men, standing at, standing at a register. They're wearing the same thing, both in a blue shirt and khaki pants, and you could tell like that which one was in charge. One of them was the assistant manager. The other was the employee. They had the same outfit on. And you could tell by the way one of them had their outfit on versus the other one. One person had their shirt tucked in. The other person didn't. One person was wearing a belt. The other person wasn't. One person you know, had the shoes tied. One other person didn't. The other person, I mean, they were shaved. And well, they were just 
put together better. Uh, you see, that's a, the same outfit. That's a great point. Even though they wear the same outfit, how they put that together made them yeah. look different, stand out. Uh, that's 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 good right there. That's really good. All right, let's go to rule number four. Managers must get their work done. And this seems like an odd rule because I think people either assume that they do or it doesn't matter. Well, actually, it's it's one of those rules. It's one of those consequences of being in charge, being a brand new manager. Many times, new managers fall into this trap where they want to be super supportive. I want to have an open door policy. Everybody I ever meet, like, <laughs> oh, I have an open door policy. If you have an open door policy and you have trouble getting your work done with peace and love, shut the door. <laughs> shut the door. That's the problem. You're being interrupted too much. See, as a new manager, we're like, I, I just want to go out and, and I want to be with my people. And I mean, you're not Jesus, okay? You're not riding up <laughs> disciples to feed them on the side of a mountain. You're trying to build a car here, right? You're trying to sell a car. You're trying to run a grocery store. You're managing a department. Manage, get your work done. And you know what else is worse than that? It's not only just, it's not just the open door policy, but it's also this notion that the manager has the ability to take their work home. Mm. Oh, it drives me crazy. I'll just, mm. I did the report last night at seven. I can tell you did the report last night while you were watching Dancing with Stars because it's garbage. <laughs> During a 30 or 60 second commercial. <laughs> it's just a crappy report because, oh, I took my work home. I can't stand it. People who are like, I work, you know, 15 hours a day. I take my work home. Listen, you're not working 15 hours a day. You know what you're doing? You're wasting eight hours while you're at work and you're actually putting your head down and getting work done in one or two hours at home. And by the way, in the middle of doing laundry and cooking lunch and going to the baseball game and the recital and watching the TV. And if you just got your work done at work, that's why I mean, that's why it's so important that managers get their work done on time at work, get it done at work. You bring up a really great point, and um, we had a guest on last week who talked about this a little bit, the interruption principle and right. why the open door policy and the interruption principle, how they work together. Talk talk, talk us through the interruption principle because it really is it, – it, this is a scientific thing. This isn't something we just made up. Yeah, no, no they've documented that any interruption – when you're in flow – and inflow, I mean, you're actually concentrating on your work. And we all know what that's like, where you're reading something, you're writing something, you're doing a report, you're filling something out, you're checklisting. And even just the slightest ding of your phone goes off, ding, notification, you get sucked right over. You're like, what is that? Oh, and then you find, they find, researchers have found, it takes you 20 to 25 minutes to get back into flow. Mm. So imagine how many times you need to be interrupted before your entire day is gone. Not a lot. Right. I mean, we're not talking about a lot of interruptions before somebody comes to your door. Hey, excuse me. Uh, uh, yeah. What is it? And it's a BS thing. Um, you know, did you order those pencils? Yeah, they'll be here tomorrow. Okay. I was in the flow. Now that one question just took me 25 minutes away from my work because right. you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to go, oh, I'm going to get back into my work. I'm going to go, oh, oh, there's a sale at Penny's. Oh, there's an email. Oh, what's on Facebook? That's how it happens. I, it does. I, That's how it, and it happens to all of us. It doesn't just happen. To us, it happens to every one of us, which right. is why 
we struggle so much with our employees with phones. A lot of employers right now are struggling like crazy with people, employees having cell phones in their pocket while they work. And it's because of the of this interruption clause, because you put it in your pocket and you're, I, I've seen people literally be selling a car to somebody. They're on the showroom floor. The car costs $45,000. The buyer wants to buy the car. They're talking about, oh, and it has great features. And they pick up their phone. Just a second. Mm. Just a second. Mm. You just let your cell phone interrupt a $45,000 sale? Mm. Why is that cell phone in your pocket? <laughs> Why are notifications on? You know what I mean? So you can see the GM in the back of the showroom going, I'm going to shoot someone if they bring their phone out on the showroom again because it people are legitimately – because and everybody has this default. Everybody has this default. Even those of us who don't have little kids at home, we all have this default. It could be one of my kids or it could be an emergency. It's never been an emergency your whole life, but you're always picking it up and using the excuse. Oh, it could be an emergency. It could be an emergency. It could be. Listen to the life you lead. It's not an emergency. You're addicted to the little notification. Shut them off while you're at work. <laughs> I'm using a car example, of course, but I work in healthcare. In healthcare, imagine. Right. I'm feeding you. Phone. Hoop. Back in the phone. You can't eat. Giving you a bath. You're on the toilet. You're like, I'm done. Hold on a minute. I'm still scrolling TikTok. <laughs> You're like, I can't feel my legs anymore. They'll come back when I stand you up in a minute. Hold on. <laughs> I got to update my status. I'm making it up, Jay. I, I, got, mean, I got to go take a selfie. I just let me finish writing this post on my selfie. His name is Ralph Peterson. And you know what? We're going to finish up with the five rules with number five when we come back right after this. Hey, folks, uh, Epic Physical Therapy, uh, one of our great sponsors, offers the most advanced top-of-the-line equipment. They have great facilities uh, all over the Research Triangle Park. Um, And by the way, people fly in from all over to literally, I mean, I'm talking to professional athletes, literally come into Research Triangle Park to work with the trainers at at Epic Physical Therapy because they have all the equipment and they're certified, right? So, I mean... They have all the cutting-edge treatments right here, and it's it's amazing. I go there. Um, my my wife goes there, and I'm just telling you, they are an amazing physical therapist. Look, they have some great stuff. Uh, I talk about the anti-gravity treadmill, the Norma Tech compression sleeves, the Game Ready. But you know what? Here's some of the treatments like blood flow restriction therapy, dry needling, cupping, uh, which is fantastic to manipulate uh, the muscle in the skin. I mean, they, it is it is absolutely phenomenal. So look, when you're looking for your epic relief, your epic recovery, and your epic results, don't look any further. Be epic. Start with epic physical therapy. That's epicpt.com. That's E-P-I-C-P-T.com. And Linda Craft and Team Realtors. You know what? 35 years she has been at the top of the game. She helps people from all over the world. How does she do that when she is independently owned and operated and doesn't belong to any sort of national company? Here's why. Because she has created relationships with the best professionals all over the world. So whether you're selling a home or buying a home, regardless of where you're at, she is going to have an unbiased opinion of being able to find the best professional in your area because of the relationship that she created, right? Because she doesn't have to stick to a company. She's her own company. 
By the way, that independent local spirit that she have is has is exactly why she is so dedicated to seeing people get the best price for their home when they sell. It's because she she's been in the area for over 35 years. She loves the area and what she wants to do is she wants to help you get the best price that you can when you sell your home and get the best price you can when you're going to buy your home. Right? Because she's a tough negotiator. And she's well-respected. So, listen, yeah, she is absolutely the relationship memory maker, but she also knows her business. So, why not check out someone who's got that great combination of relationship and business savvy? Why not check out the team at Linda Craft at Team Realtors? You can learn more by going to lindacraft.com. That's L-I-N-D-A-C-R-A-F-T dot com. And we're back here on A New Direction with Ralph Peterson in his book, The Good Manager, because being great, really is overrated. Uh, And we're going to get through rule number five here as we're going through the five rules of management. Rule number five, Ralph, is managers must always be visible. What do you mean? Be visible. Yeah, being seen is is one of those things that it's really equal right up there to being available and not hiding and making sure that everybody sees you. And one of the greatest things, I, I, I learned this by the, I was doing a talk to a bunch of police officers in New Hampshire, and this is when this new app came out called Waze. Oh, yeah. Yes, right? So everybody uses Waze now. It's very popular. But at the time, it was a few years ago. It wasn't all that popular. And one of the features on Waze is that you can identify where police are. So you can, it's community driven. So na- you know, people driving can identify a police officer, which lets you know. And I was asking these group of police officers how they were feeling about that. And there was a guy in the back of the room and he says, I use it to check in. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? He said, I found that when I'm going to, he's like, I pull in the middle of a highway in the, in the median there and I will pull up my own Waze app and I will go, I am right here. I'll identify myself. He goes, you wouldn't believe what happens. I was like, what happens? He goes, everybody slows down. Everybody obeys the law. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> you know a police officer's there. You know what you do. Your hands go to ten at two. You take your foot off the gas. You put it on the brake, and you obey the. It's the same thing at work. Right. If you know your boss is there walking around, what are you going to do? You're going to right. obey the the rules. You're going right. to do your job. I mean, I I toured a home once where I walked with the administrator, and it was. I think like it was the first time the administrator had ever been, this is in a nursing home. It was like one of the first times the administrator had ever been on the third floor. And so they, the administrator was introducing herself to everybody. Oh, I'm the administrator. It was like, oh, you are? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, there's something wrong with this picture. All right. So this is the part of the book that kind of, I was kind of mad at you a little bit. Early the golden on. rules of management. The golden rules of management. Because oh, I, we love the golden rules. <laughs> because there's these golden rules of management that I think we want to believe in. Matter of fact, I know we want to believe in. Of course. We want to believe that this is the way we're supposed to manage. million percent. But we, but, and I believed them for a long time, Jay, and that's... And it got me in so much. Okay, so here's golden rule number one. And then what we're going to do, these are really golden rule myths. Can we call them that? Can we call these golden rule myths, right? So golden rule myth number one, praise publicly and reprimand privately. What? 
I did this forever. If I had to have a tough conversation with you, I would do it in a hushed tone in a back room. It was just me and you. I'd be like, listen, you gotta, you gotta be on time. All right. Or you really got to start getting your job done. Or, you know, that attitude you're having out on the floor, the way you're raising your voice, you really can't do that. You know? And then what I found was I would have these tough, difficult conversations with employees. You know what they would do? They'd get out of my office. They'd go and they'd see people and they'd go, Hey, what did you have to talk to Ralph with? And they'd go, nothing. Like, Oh, Ralph didn't talk to you about being on time. No, Ralph never said anything about that. They would lie, Jay. <laughs> My employees would lie. I couldn't believe it either. I was baffled. I was like, what? Here's the truth. If you're managing one person, one person, then absolutely don't bring it up in front of anybody else. But if you're managing a team, your team needs to know that you are managing everyone equally. And they will not know that if you're doing it in a hushed tone and behind a closed door, because the person you're doing that reprimanding to is not going to be honest. Mm. I'm not saying that I dress people down. I don't yell at people on the floor. I don't embarrass people and shame people, but I do. I am very strategic about keeping my door open. And I'm a little bit of a loud talker. Sometimes I want everyone to know that you're not getting away with it because if they don't know that I'm not letting you get away with it, they're going to think I am a pushover or that I have something going on with you, which is even worse. Mm. Not good. Not, not good. good. All right. Golden rule myth. Number two, <laughs> 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 never ask anyone to do anything you wouldn't do yourself. This is a great one because I took, it took me a long time to find the origin of this because it sounds perfect. But it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound managing, right? It sounds, it sounds different than managing. Never ask anyone to do something you wouldn't do. What does that mean? Does that mean that I, what if I was a CEO of a hospital, but I'm not a doctor? Does that mean I shouldn't ask a doctor to perform surgery because I wouldn't do it? That's, <laughs> that's insane to me. So I was like, I had to go back and I did a lot of research trying to find out what happened. And actually what happened was this is actually back in the early 1900s, late 1800s, where there was a huge labor dispute, a lot of companies cutting corners with safety, a lot of child labor laws, a lot of children being hurt and exploited. And the papers ran with it. The unions got involved and they made this big public campaign that all these companies are bad and evil. And so the companies used it as a marketing tagline. They started to say, listen, we would never ask you to do anything we wouldn't do. See, it's a legal thing. It's mm. a right and wrong thing. And you can even see it in advertisement today. People are like, we're a green company or politicians love to say that we're here for the people as if that's true. It's not true, but that's the, that's the, that's the marketing. It's simply marketing. Never ask anyone to do anything you wouldn't do is a marketing ploy. And the worst part about it is managers hide behind it. Mm. They use it as the excuse. You know why I have to pick up the paper? You know why I have to pick up the trash? Because mm. I would never ask anybody to do anything I wouldn't do. That's why I pick <laughs> up all the trash. With your friend, Einstein, there's more trash than there are you. So either you start managing it so other people do it, or we're always going to have a dirty facility. That's the truth. And most people hide behind it. Use it as an excuse to not manage. Mm. Instead of managing, I'm just going to do everybody's job for them. All right. Well, that's not managing. Mm. All right. Golden rule myth number three. Choose, Choose your battles. Your battles. <laughs> Listen, I, I let me let me apologize. I'm on a little bit of a Jocko gold rush here, but um, <laughs> fired up, fired up. 
No, uh, choose your battles. It, you know, this is an easy one. Everybody says choose your battles when they're talking about the, a battle they don't want to do. So they don't want to confront somebody for being late. They don't want to confront somebody for not getting their work done. They don't want to confront somebody for their eye roll or their bad attitude or the way they're treating somebody else. So they go like, oh, you know, you got to choose your battles. No, the truth is you lose every battle you choose not to fight. So you either win battles or you lose battles. You don't choose battles. So you fight every single battle. And by the way, I'm not a fan of choosing your battles. I am a fan of being tactically patient, which mm. is what my I, I, I write about that as a little caveat. Tactically patient is different than choosing your battles. That means I'm going to choose my battle. I'm going to fight this battle. But I'm going to do it on my own time. Mm. Being tactically patient makes sense. I, I love that because, because you're right. I mean, and you talk about, you know, you're not going to win them all, you know, but the truth of the matter is if you don't battle, you've clearly lost. You've already lost. You didn't even, you didn't even fight it. Right. Because there is something to be said that if they know that there's going to be a battle, if the people that you're managing, you start, you know, you start encroaching on that reluctancy to, you know, what now they're in that guy. I don't know if this is a battle I want to fight because I know he's going to fight. Yeah. You know, if I mean, being on time is one of those things that really sticks in my craw. I cannot. And I, I just peace and love. I work with managers. So you've already been vetted. You've already been chosen as somebody who is willing to take responsibility and do more than everybody else because you're a little better than everybody else. That's how right. I look at my management team. And so for them to not be on time for me, feels very disrespectful to the team I'm asking them to run. Right. If you're expecting them to be on time, they have children, they have car issues, they have bus issues, they have they have all the issues you do, but because you have the title, you can be late, not on my watch. Do not tolerate that for one second. Mm. That is a battle I choose every single I would never give up on that battle. I would never give up on that battle. But on the other side of this, I'm going to tell you something. I don't mind being wrong, and I don't mind losing the battle. I really don't. If I've got to compromise, we, we start button heads and I, you know, we're not getting anywhere. I'll be the first to compromise. Be first to say, if I'm wrong, I'll admit that I'm wrong. I have no problem with that. A lot of people fear of fighting a battle because they don't know if they're going to win. Mm. I don't fight battles to win. I fight battles to keep going forward. Mm. That's beautiful. Constantly advancing, constantly advancing. Go forward, go forward, go forward. That's beautiful. Let's do golden myth num- golden myth, golden rule myth number four. I'll get that out correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and by the way, I think this one is huge. Micromanagement is the new four-letter word of management. It really is. People think it's like cursing, the idea of micromanaging. <laughs> and the truth is, people are like, oh, you should never micromanage your team. If you're not willing to micromanage, you're not willing to manage. Micromanage just simply means that you are ensuring that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And there is a lot of good that comes out of micromanaging. The only people who do not like micromanaging are those being micromanaged. And the only reason why people are being micromanaged and they're feeling like you're breathing down their neck is because they're not, they're not getting their work done on time. Mm. There are instances where I do know that there are people who, and I'm going to admit that I have fallen into this category most of my management career because I didn't know anybody. It took me a long time to learn this, but I used to think that I, my job was to be a problem solver. And my job as a manager was to solve all my employees' problems. And if you have somebody who's like that, 
you can see them as a micromanager. You know, I've never been able to make any decisions. They make every decision for me. Micromanage this, micromanage that. And I can see how that would be challenging to live under that. Right. The idea of, the idea of micromanaging being bad is not bad. You can be way too aggressive. You can be way too inside this. I'm here to make all your decisions for you, which I don't subscribe to anymore. I'm far more comfortable with letting people make mistakes. And that's the problem. That was always my problem because, you know, when you, the employee make a mistake on my watch, I'm the one responsible. I'm the one who gets blamed for it. Right. And that's why it's so hard to let you make mistakes. But I have learned that it's far more productive and you grow far more and I grow far more and our company grows far better. If I manage by suggestion and I give you the parameters to make the own decisions, like, we can either do it this way, this way, or that way. I mean, which one do you think is greater? You right. tell me. Let's run with it, you know. And you can also make baby step decisions. So you're not making one large decision. So you can adjust right. quickly without it getting snowballing too far. Right. I'm growing, Jay. I'm growing. <laughs> yes, you are. We are not going to do golden rule myth number five because <laughs> we have we have run out of time. So if you want to know about golden rule myth number five, you need to really purchase this book. It's called uh, The Good Manager Being Great is Overrated. Um, we've been on uh, a long time. <laughs> By the way, the greatest piece, I just want to show you this, the greatest, I don't know if you saw it, but the greatest part of this book is at the last page, I've given you a piece of trash. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Right, yeah. So you can, no, no, no. Last page of the book. Open it up. Hold on here. Hold on here. Let me see. Keep going. Oh, right. Right. You can cut it out and you can see if you have what it takes to manage. Just cut this out, roll it into a ball, throw it on the floor. We'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, his name is Ralph Peterson. Management tra- training tool. I a little love, training aid. I love that. His name is Ralph Peterson. The book is called The Good Manager and Being Great is Overrated. And he was great. He wasn't just good. He was great. Folks, that's a show. Right. And you know, I say to you every week, right, be inspired because when you're inspired, that means that you'll inspire others. And in turn, when they're inspired, that means they'll inspire others as well. And that can make this world a great place. I'm going to be back next week with another great guest, another great book, and another great show. And as I say to you every week, ciao, everybody. Got to keep your hope alive. You got to know you can survive. This is your time to find a new direction, a brand new day. A new direction, things are gonna change. You can find the strength to go a different way. Dreams will take you places you have never been before Find your passion, find your strength Don't worry anymore A new direction
new direction.